Good, good morning. Good to be in the house with you this morning. Hey, real quick, before we dive into the message, I, I have to tell you something. I hope that if, if you are a mom, if you know a mom, that you are making plans to be a part of the first ever Fearless Mom Conference on February the 29th, 2020. I don't, I don't know if we, I, sometimes I think sometimes we, we haven't communicated this well enough. There are right now hundreds of women from across the country already signed up. We got people coming from California. We got people coming from Canada already signed up. And this is one of those things that our house has to be behind. Because let me tell you what's going to happen at the Fearless Mom Conference. You got a little hottie on the left there. So at the Fearless Mom Conference, this is absolutely central to our purpose as a church, growing the community of Christ one life at a time, because what Fearless Mom does is save lives. It gives hope. It gives handles. It gives meaning to the incredible mission of motherhood. So if you're a mom and you haven't yet signed up, man, I cannot encourage you enough to be a part of the Fearless Mom Conference, go home and sign up today. Register, go to fearlessmom.com, register, be a part of it. Julie didn't even know I was going to do this this morning, but if you think I don't think I may get a little extra sugar, you're crazy. So <laughs> help a brother out a little bit and go sign up. I'm telling you, it's going to be unbelievable. Lisa Harper is one of the greatest communicators of scriptural truth that I've ever heard anywhere. She's going to be one of the keynote speakers. You know Julie will bring it. And Dr. David Thomas, counselor and author, I'm telling you, it is going to be absolutely, radically life-changing. And for the husbands in the house, you want to do whatever you can to help your wife or mother of your children be a part of this thing. I'm just telling you already, your life will be better if your wife goes to this thing. I'm I'm just saying, I love you too much to lie to you. So be a part of the Fearless Mom Conference, first ever, February the 29th. Don't let Canada outshine our home crowd and be a part of what's going on. How was that? Okay, good. Just checking. Like I said, she didn't even know I was going to do that. She would have said, no, I don't want to. But I'm, I'm telling you, it's going to be absolutely phenomenal, incredible. Now, <clears throat> Let's dive into the message together, shall we? You know, one of, the, one of the grandest, one of the greatest promises of the Christian faith is the peace that Jesus promises. He even said from his own mouth in the New Testament, he said, my peace I leave with you. And I was thinking about that as we continue this series that we are in right now called Reap Year. And I'm kind of kidding when I ask this, but kind of not. How many of us have too much peace in our lives? Can I just see a show of hands? Anybody's just like, man, if I get any more peaceful, I'm going to be in a coma. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, I, I think, I, I really believe that, that stress, just day-to-day just -day stress, but also anxiety, clinical anxiety is really probably the single greatest marker of the times in which we live. And yet, there's this promise in the Christian life to peace. The Apostle Paul wrote more than two-thirds of the New Testament, inspired by the Holy Spirit. 
in every one of Paul's letters in the New Testament, he talks about peace, peace, peace. In Philippians chapter 4 particularly, he says that the peace of God surpasses all understanding. It, it transcends our ability to describe it. We, we, can't even, we can't even express what it does for us. But even though it defies our expression, it is absolutely available for our experience, for us to know the peace of Christ. He says it is the peace of God which will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And yet, in the world that you and I live in, the day-to-day -day that we traffic in every single day, how many of us can say beyond a shadow of a doubt we're really and truly living in that peace? How many of us really know what that feels like on a regular basis? The statistics are really overwhelming. The National Institute of Mental Health says that nearly 20%, one in five of us, experience an anxiety disorder in any given year. Over 30% experience an anxiety disorder over the course of our lifetimes. A third of us. Wow. That, a third. Let, let me just show you what that looks like. If you're sitting in this, kind of on this line right here, would y'all just stand up? Y'all just stand up right now. Everybody, y'all over here, stand up. Y'all up there, stand up. Stand up. Everybody over here. Look at them. Now, I'm not saying you are, but statistically, you are. We, we, this is over. Y'all can go ahead and have a seat. Thank you so much for helping me to make my point. A third of us will experience an anxiety disorder sometime in our lifetimes. Sociologist and speaker and author, Brene Brown, puts it this way, and she puts a much finer point on it. She says that Americans today are more debt-ridden, obese, medicated, and addicted than we have ever been. For the first time in history, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention has announced that automobile accidents are now the second leading cause of accidental death in the United States. The leading cause? Drug overdoses. And of those, the vast majority are not street drugs. They are prescription medications given to us by doctors and friends and family, all in an attempt to somehow salve and assuage the anxiety of our day. It's amazing. And so as we continue this series, Reap Year, I thought it's kind of incumbent upon us to think if we're really truly interested in reaping and harvesting at the end of 2020 all of the good things, all of the God things that has in store for us and through us, then wouldn't peace be one of those things? Wouldn't it make sense that we would get to the end of this year and if we're intentional, if we're deliberate about what we're sowing and planting in our lives and through our lives, that we would deliberately try to reap and to harvest peace? That we, we could look back on 2020 at the end of this year and say, that really was, that was, that was an amazing year. And, and I just, I'm so grateful and, and I've, I've experienced more peace in this year than ever before in my life. 
Wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't that be incredible? Turn to your neighbor and with a peaceful smile on your face, tell your neighbor, get your peace on. You did not sound very convincing right then. I'm just going to tell you. Now, let's say it like we really and truly mean it. Turn to the same person and tell them like you mean it. Get your peace on. Get your peace on. Very nice. That's what I'm talking about. Now, in order to experience that kind of peace, we, we have to examine and, and take a look at what causes unrest and, and the absence of peace or, or anxiety. And as I started studying and looking at this, one thing kept rearing its ugly head over and over and over and over again. The number one thing that causes anxiety and stress in our lives, every single one of us, anybody want to take a guess? You don't have to say it out loud. Financial stress. Financial, look, mm, the nod of recognition. It's true for all of us. It doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are, how much you have, how little you have, financial stress is far and away, by almost two to one over second place, the greatest cause of stress in our lives. And so I think it's incumbent upon us as we think about harvesting peace throughout this year that we look at this and actually do something about it. If I can, I'm going to give you some numbers just to, kind of, just to kind of paint the picture because the statistics transcend demographics or spiritual religious beliefs. It doesn't matter whether you go to church, don't go to church, believe the Bible, don't believe the Bible. These numbers transcend demographics. And we have an opportunity as followers of Christ to actually lean into this and take what God promises and offers us. Here are the realities of the world that you and I live in. And I'm not going to make everybody stand up for each of these statistics, but I just want to point these out. 44% of us, about right here, 44% of Americans say money is the dominant source of stress. 69% of us, of American workers, are stressed over finances. To quantify that, one estimate puts the loss to American business every year at $500 billion. Cost to American business because of financial stress of the workers. Today in the United States, there is a $1 trillion level of credit card debt. Credit cards, 17, 18, 19% interest, a trillion. 25% of us have nothing saved for an emergency. 60% of workers experience physical and psychological symptoms like anxiety and sleeplessness because of financial stress. 68% of women say that they lose sleep at least occasionally because they're worried about money. The number is lower for men because we're clueless, but that's the number. <laughs> and speaking of losing sleep, we spend as Americans more than $40 billion a year on sleep aid medication. 12 million Americans hide money from our spouses. 12 million. Please don't be a statistic. 
More than half of us, more than 50% of Americans have less than $1,000 in savings. 61% of Americans say they don't even have enough savings to cover a $1,000 emergency like a visit to the ER or car repair. 39% of Americans say they have nothing in savings. 33% of baby boomers have no money saved in retirement plans when they are on average 58 years old. 31% of us are financially fragile, meaning we could not come up with $2,000 to address an unexpected need within a month. 63% of millennials, age 18 to 34, are financially anxious. Wow. Now, somebody right now is thinking, Mac, would you just tell more stories about your puppy? These, <laughs> these numbers are, are just kind of, oh, this is doggy down or the puppy is doggy. I mean, it's, it's, it, this is not why I came to church. But let me tell you what I believe with everything I have. Every single one of these numbers is good news. Now, the symptoms that they represent are not. But the fact of the matter is that every single one of those is something that we can do something about. You have the authority. You, you have the opportunity and the power to do something to alleviate financial stress. And rather than just alleviating financial stress, what I think we ought to do is focus on cultivating financial peace. What is it that we can actually do? Now, we've already said that, that, that God promises peace that passes all understanding. And we've established as the baseline for this series, Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. The Bible says, don't be misled. Don't, don't allow yourself to be deceived. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. You will always reap what you sow. So it's, it's always about reaping, and it's about sowing. It's about sowing, and it's about reaping. We saw last week that, that the bottom line comes down to our priorities. Remember Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. It says that, we are to guard our heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Guard your heart. Protect your heart. Deliberately guard your heart and your soul, soul because this is about cultivating the soil of our heart. This is about making sure that our heart is aligned with God's, and the more we align with God's heart, the more we experience God's peace. And I would love to tell you that I'm, I'm preaching to you today from months and months and reams of research. But the reality is I'm preaching to you today out of experience. I, when I tell you that I am a fellow struggler with you in this arena, I know firsthand about anxiety. I, I've shared with our church before, if you're new around here, the greatest spiritual struggle that I face day in and day out is stress. It just is. And I didn't experience that until I became a pastor. I'm not, I'm not you know, invulnerable or, or immune to any other temptations, but that's, that's number one, man. I, when I put my head on the pillow at night, I'm, I'm thinking. I'm, I'm 
Sometimes I'm worrying and thinking about what's going on, what am I not aware of, what could go wrong, all those kind of things. Anybody else have those kind of experiences when it gets quiet and dark? I just want to make sure I'm not alone. Thank you for not leaving me hanging. But here's what I've discovered about stress and anxiety just in my own life. Every time I get anxious, every time I allow stress to kind of kind of wrap me up a little bit, I've taken my eyes off of Christ every time. I, I think about Peter walking on the water. Remember when Jesus was coming to the disciples, walking on the water in the middle of a storm, and, and the other disciples were af afraid. They, they thought it was a ghost, but not Peter. Peter was like, I want to play. Let me do that. And, and Jesus said, come to me. And Peter stepped out of the boat. And he started walking on the water, but as soon as he got onto the water and he was walking, he saw the wind and the waves. And when he saw the wind and the waves, he began to sink, and Jesus reached down and picked him up again. You see, a lot of times I focus on the wind and the waves instead of the Lord. I, I think, what if, what could, and, and that's where it begins and continues. But when I come back to what I know to be true, when I come back to the fact that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, it doesn't necessarily change the circumstances, but it absolutely changes my perspective. And I'm not focused on the wind and the waves as much as I am on the one who controls them. I'm focused on the one who promises to never leave me nor forsake me. I'm focused on the one who says he is close by. And it's then that I begin to think, okay, the wind and the waves can blow. I, because of what I've seen him bring me through this far, I'm going to trust him more than I trust myself. And so I, I think it's imperative that we, we have a game plan for financial peace. If we're really going to cultivate, if we're really going to guard our hearts, like the Bible says, it, it was Jesus himself who connects our hearts and our stuff. He said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, wherever your treasure is, wherever you put your things, there the desires of your heart will also be. Wherever you put your stuff, that's where the desires of your heart will be. And in this way, I want to encourage you. I think a lot of times, because this is such a sensitive subject, we're, we're reticent to discuss it. We're reticent to talk about it. Right now, some of you are thinking, I wish he would preach about sex. <laughs> but we're going to talk about money. Because Jesus ties, he establishes, he affirms the connective tissue between our heart and our stuff and where we put Because money can be an incredible help in clarifying priorities. Money can help us clarify our priorities. As we guard our heart, we're establishing priorities. We're, we're managing the tension of priorities. Remember, nobody has ever settled the issue of priorities once and for all in their lives, and they never have to revisit it or recalibrate. But money is a great indicator of what we value, how we, how we appreciate that which God has entrusted to us. And the Bible is very, very clear. Jesus talked more about money than he did heaven or hell. Or, or any other subject, because it goes directly to the heart of the matter. My heart, your heart. 
and it represents where we really land. So the first thing that, that you've got to do, if you're really and truly interested in cultivating financial peace, if you really mean it, start here. Number one, determine your reality. Determine your reality. This is a step that most of us, most of us, staggeringly enough, don't do. It's amazing. You know, when I was in college, I drove a 1979 Oldsmobile 98. It, and this was 1985 when I, when I started college. 1990, I graduated college. If you're doing the math, that was five years. That's okay. I squeezed four years into five, got a well-rounded education, but I drove this 1979 Oldsmobile 98. The, the radiator leaked. The, the roof liner, the glue had come undone. It was kind of dripping a little bit. When the radiator leaked, you had to drive with the heater on to pull heat off of the motor. How many, anybody else ever done that before in your lifetime? Look at that. Character all over the room. So I, I remember, and so to this day, Car trouble just goes through me. Like, I, it takes me back to when I couldn't afford to do anything about it. I, I, I want to shoot the car like they do horses. You know what I mean? I mean, horses who are wounded and won't heal. But my point is, I remember thinking, I remember praying, praying when this car would break down. Lord, when I graduate college, if I could make $35,000 a year, that's all I'll ever need. I remember. And I remember, and here's the thing. I meant it. I meant it. I, I'm telling you. If, God. But then I fell in love. I fell in love and I got married. And I got married and we had kids. And, and, and those kids, they eat food. <laughs> they wear clothes. They go to the emergency room. And I, I quickly realized that, that it's expensive to live. It, it just, it costs money to live. And you're spiritually immature and kind of ridiculous if you make too big a deal out of money, but you're also spiritually immature and ridiculous if you don't recognize the role that it plays. And the Bible says that we have to determine our reality. Look in Proverbs 27. Proverbs, which is the book of wisdom, says this, verses 23 and 24, know the state of your flocks and put your heart, there it is again, Put your heart into caring for your herds, for riches don't last forever, and the crown might not be passed to the next generation. Put your heart, put your heart into caring for your herds. Now, most of us don't, don't have herds. This is not an agrarian society by and large. Some of us have herds of dogs, but that's, that's a different concept. But determining your reality means you, you know how much is coming in and how much is going out. You're, you're aware of that. And I think what happens a lot of times in our world is we grow up and we, we move beyond our initial 
compensation levels, we start seeing things kind of get better and a little brighter. We think to ourselves, we can afford that. I can do that without actually putting pencil to paper. So determine your reality. Number two, designate your first fruits. Designate your first fruits. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9 through 11. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all you produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Just for the record, bursting with wine is a metaphor. Okay? But it, it says to honor the Lord with your first fruits. Your first fruits, my first fruits. This is a spiritual principle that we need to understand. First fruits means the first and the best of everything that God entrusts to us. I also reference Malachi chapter 3 there. This is, this is the tithe. And, and I'm not going to belabor the point here, but that's, that's where it begins. We, we start spending. We start investing. We start sowing with the tithe, with that 10% offering, that 10% tithe back to God of everything that he's entrusted to us. So we determine our reality, designate your first fruits, but then number three, develop and work a peace plan. Develop and work a peace plan, a.k.a. a budget Turn to your neighbor. I want you to do this for me, seriously. Turn to your neighbor and say, budgeting is fun. Thank you for saying that like you really meant it. Proverbs 21.20 says, The wise store up choice food and olive oil, but fools gulp theirs down. The wise store up, and they save choice food and olive oil, but fools gulp theirs down. Fools, that, that means people who are not wise consume everything that comes in. So be wise, develop and work a peace plan. And I'm going I'm to give you seven things to consider on your peace plan. This is going to be highly practical. This is going to be highly just blocking and tackling X's and O's. Number one, tithe. It's the first fruit. Start with the tithe. Number two, Set aside $1,000 in an emergency fund. Just, just put it in the bank and leave it alone. Ignore it. Number three, pay off all consumer debt. Pay off all consumer debt, not the mortgage necessarily. If you can, knock yourself out. But all consumer debt. If you can't pay off your credit card every month, put it in a glass of water and stick it in the freezer. Just don't, don't use it. Save three to six months of expenses for a disaster fund. I call this your meteorite plan. What's your plan in case a meteor hits your house? What, what do you do if your company just decides they're done? What do you do if your company just decides you're done? Have a meteorite plan. Number five, invest 15% of your household income in retirement. 15% of your whole income in retirement. Number six, if you can, save for college for your kids. 
If that's a priority, if that's something, save for college. I'm not even going to get into the student loan crisis in our country. College, I am going to say this. College, in and of itself, is not worth $200,000 in debt for your kid. It's not. So just think that all the way through. Think that all, what does that look like when he or she gets out of college after five years? What does it look like if they have to be paying back hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt? Number seven, if you've done all those things, then build Whatever you want to, give generously wherever God leads. Build and give generously wherever God leads. I don't mean necessarily building a house, but I mean do whatever you want. Whatever God leads, do that. This is a workable peace plan. This is, this is taking the opportunity. And I listen, I understand that, that for some of you, this is... This is finance, or or maybe even faith 101. But I know too many people that are living with too much anxiety. I know too many people who are making more than enough money every year to not have that kind of stress and anxiety in their lives. Years and years ago, I had a conversation with a couple that that was wrestling financially. And as the conversation proceeded, I quickly discerned that it wasn't just, it wasn't financial. And at one point, the husband said to me, he said, you know, Mac, I just figured I'd just make more money and it'll all take care of itself. And I said, I said his name, I said, listen, I want you to, I want you to do me a favor. I said, you're a smart guy. You've been successful professionally. You've provided beautifully for your family. You're a smart person. Say that sentence again out loud and listen to yourself. If I make enough money, it won't matter. And he kind of chuckled a little bit. He goes, yeah, I guess that's pretty dumb, isn't it? I said, you know that I love you. That's one of the dumbest things I've ever heard in my life. So you're too smart to act like that. You're too smart to make decisions like that. Can I tell you how many times I have replayed that conversation in my own mind? I, I know that we have to constantly make choices that cultivate the heart and soil of our lives in order to experience the peace of God that passes all understanding. And I want to invite you to to remember where we were when we started this conversation as I read to you the words from Jesus in Luke chapter 12. He said, don't be concerned about what to eat and what to drink, what to wear. Don't worry about such things. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers all over the world. Can I take just a time out right there? It's almost as if Jesus knows us. It's almost like 
he understands our hearts and our minds. He, 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 he kind of has, has us pegged right here. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers all over the world, but your father, your father already knows your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else, and he will give you everything you need. Everything you need. Seek the kingdom of God above everything else. That means in every area of life, the authority and the power of God is paramount. It's primary. Even in our finances. Because when we do that, the peace of God, the peace of God which passes all understanding, the peace of God guards our hearts and our minds. It alleviates the stress and the anxiety in, in a way that nothing else can. Now, I want to be very clear. At times, at times, physicians, psychiatrists, medicine can help get us on the road to recovery, on the road to, to psychological and emotional and spiritual equilibrium, particularly if we've spent a long time out of it. But ultimately, ultimately, all healing, all peace comes from and through the Prince of Peace, the one who offered his life to bring us, to reconcile us back into a right relationship with God to understanding that he is God and we're not, to understanding that the forgiveness of our sins, the amazing grace of God permeates every single facet of life. Now, we, we've talked about financial peace here today, but financial peace is just a symptom. It, it's a marker of spiritual peace of personal peace and relationship with Christ. And so before we leave, if you're here today and you've never owned that personally, you've never stepped into that, in just a moment, as a church, we want to give you the opportunity to do exactly that. To, to pray a prayer of beginning, a prayer of relationship it's, it's not just religion. It's not just ritual. It's a relationship that infuses religion or ritual with meaning and significance and power. But it's ultimately relationship. I want to ask you to bow your heads if you would. Just, just for a brief moment. And in this moment, if you want to begin that relationship with God, if you want to begin to experience the peace of God, 
that guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus, then we invite you to pray just right where you are. Just silently talk to God from your heart to his. Something like this. Jesus, just silently say, Jesus, I need you. And so I confess my sin to you. All of it. Holding nothing back in order to receive all of your grace, your forgiveness, your life, and your peace. Lord, I choose to believe that you died on the cross for me by name and that you rose again with the promise of a new life. And right here, right now, I accept that promise. I trust you and your promise. Lord, I pray this prayer in your name. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed for just another moment, I want to invite you to just not let this moment skate by. And, and let you know that as a church, we want to help with what's next because this is just a beginning. A couple of things that will allow us to do that. Number one, if you would take out the program that you got when you came in today and just open it up inside as the connect card. The connect card is there for, for anyone to let us know how we can help or serve you, but it's also especially there for those of you, if you just prayed that prayer, I'm gonna ask you to fill that card out and you'll notice there's a place to indicate about a third of the way down, I committed my life to Christ this week. About right there. If you'll just fill that card out, and then once you've finished it, you can tear it off along the perforation. And I want to ask you, before you leave, just to hand that to one of our ushers, one of our hosts, or maybe to somebody at the hub underneath the big front porch out here. And what that does is it, it initiates a conversation that, that proceeds at whatever pace works for you so that we can help with what's next in this new beginning for you and with you. The second thing I would ask you, if you would, just quietly as our heads are bowed, just raise your hand. If you prayed to receive Christ today and you've made that commitment personally and definitively, would you just raise your hand and hold it up high over your head for just a moment and know that as a family, as a church, and we honor that, we celebrate that with you. You can put your hands down, but we're going to put our hands together and tell you, welcome home. Welcome home. 